everyone, Kitty here. Before we dive into the podcast, I wanted to give you a couple of reminders. The first is that we touch on a lot of sensitive subjects that could be possible emotional and trauma triggers for people. If there are any topics that you're sensitive to, we recommend that before you watch any of the movies or listen to our podcasts, you check the website doesthedogdie.com. Also, this podcast is not kid-friendly and not safe for work. Please listen responsibly. Finally, this podcast contains spoilers. If you're like me and don't like spoilers, please watch the movie before listening. Thank you, and happy haunting. This is Hounds of Horror with Max. What is a non-fatal murder? <laughs> Victor. No, you're no, stupid. doesn't matter how close you live to your house. But anyway. <laughs> and Kitty. A That's lot. a lot of words for I'm trying something instead of porn. <laughs> Uh, I'm Victor. And I'm Max. And where is Kitty tonight? Uh, I don't know. She's like battling zombies or hunting merfolk or swimming with merfolk. I don't know. I didn't ask. Um, just doing something else that's really important. <laughs> she was working on something that um, just wanted to get done tonight. So she's going to be skipping tonight. That that also means that um, I believe it falls to me to pick the next movie. So it would normally hmm. be her. But she's not here, so I think it just skips I, rotation to me. I think it does, too. Okay. It's unanimous. <laughs> and that's actually correct this time. So, yeah. Uh, tonight we did the movie I chose, Before I Wake. Yes, yes. It is a Mike Flanagan film. As they uh, so often are these days. He directed it. I'm not sure who wrote it. Doesn't say. But. I should also mention that we are Hounds of Horror. Um. And you can reach us at houndsofhorrorpod at gmail.com. Uh, this is our weekly, semi-weekly, you know, you think it's weekly. Our listeners think it's weekly, but we uh, rarely are weekly at this point. Podcast about horror movies. All right. Anyway, sorry. Continue, Max. Uh, we have um, Jacob Tremblay playing Cody. Tremblay. Uh, he didn't seem that trembly. No, he didn't. Uh, he was in Luca which is a 2021 Pixar film about mermaid boys or something. Okay. So I don't think that's out yet. I didn't see it. So I no, it is. Um, he's done a lot of voice acting. I don't really see any other. He was in a movie called slumber, which looks like a horror movie. So he's in a horror movie called slumber and a horror uh, movie called before I wake. Yep. That seems to be about all that's really worth mentioning. So the next one's going to be, uh, um, apnea or insomnia. That one, insomnia. <laughs> yeah, it's this trilogy, Maybe. horror trilogy. <laughs> and then we have Kate Bosworth playing Jesse. She was in a lot of movies. Um, remember the Titans, Force of Nature, Straw Dogs, Homefront. Oh uh, yeah, Homefront is that weird one with james franco playing the role that i feel like he was born to, to play uh he's like a a mid-level uh like enforcer like a shock collar for i think a drug dealer or he is the the mid-level drug dealer for the area and he's like his own like muscle and it's just it's ridiculous and okay. like really like oh you know what I think yeah I it's have jason seen statham it. playing does it end with i don't know if spoilers <laughs> matter but um does it end with Jason Statham like killing him on a bridge, or he gets killed on a bridge by the cops? I think they capture something? him on a bridge, but yeah. But it's like 
if you've seen any Jason Statham yeah, he's movie after about him and his daughter, and- yeah, like defending himself, then you've seen this movie. It's essentially <laughs> Jason Statham's version of "Where's my family?" <laughs> With guns. Um, was she his like drug addict girlfriend in that? Sister. Kate Bosworth, his sister. Yeah, yeah, because there was some problem at school. And like Jason Statham put him in his place or his something. His daughter. She's like, you got to go after that guy. Yeah, his uh, his daughter, Jason Statham's daughter, beat up his this girl's son because he was being a little kid, there. like an annoying little kid. <laughs> yes, I did yep. see. That. It was a movie. It was all right. It wasn't bad. It was just really by the numbers. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of action movies. But this movie, were. um. Starring those people. And who else did it have, Max? I, th- I feel like there's another very important person. Uh, there is uh, Thomas mm. Jane as Mark. Thomas Jane. He was the Punisher in The Punisher. He was in The Mist, 1922, Deep Blue Sea, The Predator. <laughs> it took me a second to realize that those are two different titles. It, I was like, <laughs> wait, when did Deep Blue Sea come out? <laughs> Sounded like you said 1922's <laughs> Deep Blue Sea. How old is Thomas Jane? It does. There is a movie called 1922. Yes. <laughs> he's um, he's 52. He's not right. a spring So chicken he was not anymore. born long enough ago that he was in a movie uh, produced in 1922. But he was in a movie titled no. 1922. <laughs> which I still don't know if it was a good movie. Yeah. Or not. I think it was. I think it was. I, I'm having a hard time um, with that one. It's a little dark, but I mean, it, it's, very, it's very horrifying. Was he also in... No, he wasn't in the grass. That wasn't him. Not I don't, I don't see her on this no. list. But yeah, a phenomenal actor who I very much enjoy. Yeah, it's very... Yes. He's very... Yes. Uh, let's see. We have um, Dash Mihawk as Waylon. Uh, Waylon. Lance Nicholas as a detective. Waylon. <clears throat> I don't recognize... Most of these was other people. Waylon, the 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 first foster dad that we see. He, he was the second to last before them, I guess. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He's the one that's still alive, anyway. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah, I don't really recognize any of these other people. Yeah, I don't really see anyone from the rest of Mike Flanagan's movies. Normal, stable. Um. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't recognize any of these people from. Yeah, I was looking for his normal list of actors, and shows. I didn't. I didn't see any of them. At least not that I picked out. Well, we know Kate Siegel's one of them. Uh, yeah, definitely don't see her in here. Um. Yeah. So that's those are the principles. Uh, yes. And this movie starts with um, Waylon. I don't know if you know his name. His name at that point, uh, but he walks into Cody's bedroom holding a gun. Um, and I, I can't remember my first impression, but I got the distinct impression he was there to kill um, Cody. Yes. But um, so there's something goes on behind him and it startles him and he pulls the trigger and realizes he can't go through with what he's about to do. Yeah. Like I, you hear like that, that, whispering chattering sound coming down the hallway and like he looks down the hallway i think and doesn't see anything and then he goes back and he's like trying to get up the courage to shoot this little boy who's asleep in his bed and then 
that sound grows louder and he turns and fires into into the darkness seemingly and that's what wakes cody's his name mm-hmm. right yeah cody. he wakes cody up and then i think he loses his nerve because cody's awake and he can't bring himself to shoot this little boy who's now awake looking at him and like scared and then he just i yeah it's i don't believe i could be pushed to a point where i could do that i mean this guy has been we'll find out what this guy's been through but it's it's pretty rough um rough enough that it would drive him to that i don't know but it's pretty bad um but yes (laughs) that is a it's a really good strong start and it definitely hooked me pretty much immediately yeah that too i mean it doesn't seem like a terrible alternative um although i'm not sure i guess we don't know (laughs) so anyway yeah, we don't know. Um, <laughs> so that happens, and then Jesse and Mark Hobson, um, the the child services lady tells them she has a child for them that she's picked out for mm-hmm. them that she thinks would be a good fit, and so they agree to adopt him. But I would like to point out the reason why they're adopting is their natural son, uh, who is eight years old, I believe, uh, for some reason, 10 is sticking out in my mind. I think he was... I think Cody's 8. Uh, he was a, a young... Not much older than yeah, Cody. Yeah, around the same age. Was older. But he... I don't know how it happened, but he drowned in the bathtub. It's left um, pretty ambiguous. Um, there's a couple of times where we get is. like little flashes, and I think it's supposed to... Um, like, one of the first things we see after they... Uh, sign the paperwork and they agree to bring Cody home before they bring him home. You see, um, Mark in the tub putting in a, a handle, like a, a grip. And yeah, just the rails. way, just the way he's laying in the tub, like you kind of get this weird impression. Like there's something going on there. Like he's got this, I don't know. There's just the whole energy of the scene feels kind of somber. And then you find out later that, um, the son most likely drowned in the tub while, they were in another room because the boy couldn't get a grip on anything. And apparently couldn't pull himself up enough that he could get his head above water. And like, it's at least that's the impression that I'm getting. Um, or perhaps he might've fallen and, and hit his head um, and didn't have the energy to struggle to get out. But in any case, it is really awful and really intense. And if you have any kind of anxiety about, um, child loss or or child endangerment or you know anything that has it to do with like your children or just that paternal and maternal instinct um it's pretty rough like this movie's pretty rough go through um just a fair warning it is natalie the social worker tells them that uh when cody was three his mother died of cancer um Mm. and that he's been with two other foster families before which um didn't work out. And I don't know if it was the one with Waylon. I don't think so. I think it was the one before that. Like, the parents, foster parents disappeared. And neighbors called the cops when Cody started going to door, door to door asking for food. Yeah. yeah. He says he so. has, like, he's had bad luck or it hasn't been a good fit with the past few families or whatever. And, like, that's putting it mildly. Yes, so they adopt him. He seems like a really sweet kid. Like, his voice is, like, real high and fluty and, like, you know, he's a cute kid. Very well behaved. Yes, very polite. 
And I don't remember all the nuances of that day, but on his first night with them, um, Cody tells Jesse about the Cankerman, which is a monster that shows up in his nightmares. Because um, I think she says something that dreams or nightmares can't hurt you or something. And Maybe he won't find you here or something like, oh, like there's that. There's the Cankerman. Yeah. So Jesse just tells her what any parent tells him what any parent would that you know dreams aren't real and stuff. But I think it's that first night that she and Mark are in the living room watching movies or something, and there's like really pretty butterflies flying around in the living room. Yeah, and it's like it's a very real um, interaction in the sense that like. Um, in a lot of horror movies, like we make fun of people for having like NPC logic or, or just not reacting in a way that makes sense and seems real. And then like when you start thinking about it outside of a movie, it doesn't hold up and doesn't make sense for anyone to do those things. Um, but in this movie, it actually is kind <laughs> of like, they're both looking around the room and they're just amazed at these like beautiful, bright colored butterflies or um, possibly even moths. Um but they're, they have this like really bright, beautiful color to them. And, um, I think Mark catches one in a jar. And at one point, um, Jesse's looking at one and it flutters off. And behind it, I think is a, a really dark colored, like bulky looking mosquito type thing. Um, and it bites her in the arm and she smacks it and it buzzes off just out of her eye shot, but we can see it from our point of view. And there's like this dark spot on the ceiling that's slowly growing out. Um, and unfortunately, that's, well, not unfortunately, I guess, for them, that's the moment that Cody realizes what's happening um, and, like, snaps awake and everything just disappears. Yeah, I mean, if I woke up and there was, like, butterflies and moths flying around in my house, I would not feel that I was in immediate danger of anything. No, they're just really surprised. I'm like, what, like, where did they come from? What are these? Like, this is, like, never seen anything like this before. And, like, how do they get in here? And, like, him catching one. And, um, and then he goes back to look at his, the, the, um, I guess it was like a, just a drinking glass that he had caught it in. And he goes back to look at it and it's empty because obviously everything disappeared. But it's just like, I think that I would have wanted to look into that a little bit more. Like I would have looked around the house for a nest or something personally. But, you know. <laughs> I don't think moths or butterflies make nests. You don't know. Let's ask someone. Well, I mean, it's, I, I, <laughs> you would think of the wild world of insects. There probably is one that probably. does. But, um <laughs> So that's that's kind of the end of the first night, and they were like, "Well, that was weird, yeah, but let's go to bed." Not alarming, really. Yeah. And the next day at school, he makes friends with Annie. Um. And of course, we are introduced to the student who's just a little piece of shit. There's always that bully, shitty bully, always. And I think he's like. I mean, I guess it makes you not feel as bad when terrible things happen. To yes. You. Um. He's like in the maintenance shed, like setting things on fire or something like that. And like they bring him in and, and whoever found him tells the teacher and she's like, again, and like, <laughs> and they just send him back to his seat and he <laughs> immediately starts, uh, not picking on Cody, but like he gets him in his sights, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, new kid. Ooh. Oh, so yeah, we are introduced to them and, um, is it this time? When he comes home, that um, they he, he's like, hey, what's your favorite kind of pizza? I think so. I forget what he says. It's pineapple and something else. I might have said like pineapple and mushroom or something. But yeah, it was something weird. Something like that. Odd. Unusual, <laughs> I guess. 
And Mark's like, oh, that's what we're going to have for dinner tonight. Yeah, let's go home. Um, and that night, Cody asked who... They, they left one picture of Sean mm. up, I think. Um, even though I... I don't know. I Is it weird to do that? Like, you bring this new kid in. I don't know. It, and again, like, there's a lot of... There's a lot of different emotions in this movie that you kind of, like... You sort of have to sort through and, and figure out on your own and... Like, I think that everyone's going to bring something different to it. And I struggle with that too. Like the thought of, you know, you're bringing this child into your house and putting that picture away, like taking down all the pictures of, you know, your, your, your son, like kind of feels like trying to forget them and it feels wrong in a way, but at the same time, it feels weird to bring this child in and, and have pictures of another child, you know, all throughout your house. And, and uh, like, it's just, it's weird. It's, it's a really weird social I don't know I'm trying to think of a more polite way than just to say a social pickle but like it's kind of this weird thing you have to figure out um <laughs> it's a it's a dill pickle <laughs> although dill pickles are my favorite it's more like a sweet pickle <laughs> which sounds counterintuitive but I don't like sweet pickles that much <laughs> it is um, it's definitely a sweet pickle of them. a situation <laughs> and <laughs> I think that's um, the night where she's I don't know, maybe keep those pictures of your son in your bedroom. Um, I, I, maybe. It, and don't leave them up where Cody might see them. I don't know. It's, it's hard. Because you don't want to. Either yeah. way. I think that either way you're going to feel weird about it. And I think that it's all really new territory. And it's like, it's not something that a lot of people talk about. It's not something you really ever, thankfully, most people don't have to think about. Because, like, it's not something you ever want to have to think about. Um, and a lot this movie has a lot of really great scenes of cutting to Jesse in therapy talking about things that are happening. Um, and it kind of helps. It's a, a, a little bit more of a, a, a less intrusive way to give dialogue and to give backstory and to kind of give you an idea of these characters mindset with her being in therapy. And it's definitely not something new, especially even for Flanagan. He's had therapy sessions in like at least two of his series and uh, like a movie of his, I think that I can remember off the top of my head. So it's nothing uh, new for him. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Like Luke in uh, uh haunting of Hill house or on Hill house, whatever that has a lot of therapy sessions in it with like exposition and dialogue and stuff or exposition going on. But the, just the way that she's kind of talking about it and it's very, it feels very real, which is something that Flanagan does really well. Like having these characters feel real and having them dialogue feel like something that you would have in an everyday conversation. And she's talking about how hard this, this all is and how she feels like Luke is still there uh, uh, in the house with them and, and how she can, she can feel his presence and like, she can see him and, and, you know, she feels like he's still there. And um, I think it's that night. Then they see after Cody asks about Luke, they see the butterflies again and they see more of them. And this time I think Luke comes running down the steps or he's just standing in the hallway. I, I don't remember. I thought it was something how like it that. happened, but he is standing there. Yeah. They're looking at the butterflies and I think they just turn and he's standing there and they're both like, Oh my God, I can't um, even begin to imagine. And they're going over and like touching him and, you know, Thomas Jane's touching him. So they know he's real at least. Kinda. And he's got that same expression, the yeah. same, like, very cute, adorable little smile, but it, it's, it never changes. Like, his expression never changes. He doesn't say anything. His body language doesn't really move at all. Like, he's kind of turning and looking at them, and, like, he has physical presence because they're touching him and hugging him, but, like, nothing really, he doesn't really interact with them in any capacity. And it's kind of odd. 
Um, and it's, I think within maybe a minute or so, again, Cody snaps awake. And I can't remember if there was something yeah, worse that started happening. Uh, well, I, th- I think in this scene, don't quote me on this. Um, I think if you look in the, the like kitchen door behind them in the dining room, I think you can see an outline of the canker man. Yes. Another of Mike Flanagan's favorite, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It's not a trope. I mean, I guess it kind of is at this point. He's done it enough, but like another one of his favorite storytelling techniques is to have the silhouette in the background that either is there and it's so faint that you don't know that you can see it until it moves or it's there. And then the scene will shift to something else and then shift back again. And it's not there. That's like one of the, the staples of Mike Flanagan's early, like early stages of his creep in his movies where like, you know, you'll be seeing like a yeah. silhouette in the background and you don't even know you see it. And then it shifts to something else and shifts back and it's not there. And you're like, wasn't there? Oh no. And like, then you realize that like something creepy was back there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right. I think we start to see little, just on the periphery, there's little little bits of like something creepy is going on. Um, and this time when he wakes up and everything disappears, he comes walking down and says, I'm sorry. And they're both stunned as anyone would be in this situation. It's beyond imaginable what this what they'd be going through. Um, and to hear him say, like, I'm sorry, and realize that this is somehow connected to, to this little boy in some way. Like, I, I, I can't even I can't even put myself yeah, because... in that mindset. <sighs> When Cody disappears, um, he comes down the stairs and he looks over and he's like, I'm sorry. And then he goes and gets a soda and goes back upstairs. He's like that's eating right. candy and stuff to try and keep himself from sleeping. Yeah, that's right. Because um, earlier that day, she's cleaning his room and she finds the box that he brought with him. The only thing that he brought with him besides the clothes on his back was this little like shoe box. And she finds it and opens it up and finds that there's like uh, the the trucker caffeine pills and uh, a bunch of like power energy drinks and stuff like that. And, and uh, all kinds of like candy bars and stuff. Um, and I think she empties it or hides it or something like that. And she talks to Mark about it as they're sitting on the couch, watching something before they see the butterflies. And he said like, you know, she was being a good mom because she felt conflicted that she invaded his privacy. But he said that like you she couldn't let him continuously, boost himself on sugar and not sleep. Um, which was one of the reasons why he did eventually get some sleep. Um, but that's the other thing. Like, I don't understand if he's been keeping himself up, like all, like he has to sleep. Eventually everyone has to sleep. Eventually you can only go. It's like a few days before you start doing some pretty serious damage to yourself. And like, it's only maybe a week or so before you start doing irreparable damage without sleep and you're not functioning anymore. So like you have to sleep at some point. And it seems like these things will happen to him independent of time of day. It doesn't have to be at night. So like he's, he must be sleeping at some points somewhere. Um, right now we see that in the first two days, he sleeps for a couple hours long enough for things to start happening. Um, presumably, I guess we can, we can make the general assumption that these manifestations, whatever he's doing is only happening when he enters into REM sleep, which is typically when we dream, um, which, which, if, if I remember correctly, REM sleep is one of the first stages of sleep that you go into before you start sleeping in a way that actually like benefits you and recharges you. REM sleep is not a very restful sleep. Um, I believe REM sleep, REM sleep is the restful sleep, I believe. Oh, okay. For some reason, I was thinking that 
I was thinking REM sleep was like uh, one of the stages before you actually get into a deep sleep because typically REM sleep is where you'll have dreams and dreams are not typically associated with restful sleep, but I could be way off the mark. It's been a long time since I've done any kind of studies in this. Here's um, WebMD. Oh, most re- recommended source. Uh, yes. Um, let's see. The first stage is your eyes are closed, but it's easy to wake you up. Five to ten minutes. Stage two, you're in a light sleep. Your heart rate slows down and your temperature drops. Your body's getting ready for deep sleep. Ten to twenty-five minutes. Stage three is deep sleep stage. And then REM sleep happens 90 minutes after you fall asleep. Into that stage, the third stage. Um, No, apparently that's still a stage of non-REM sleep. This deep sleep stage. Um, Interesting. (laughs) I guess I never really sleep. (laughs) I mean, we knew that, but... Like they say, it's harder to rouse you during this stage, and if someone woke you up, you would feel disoriented for a few minutes. Like, when I'm roused out of any sleep, I'm disoriented for about two yeah. seconds. <laughs> so maybe I'm not getting the sleep I need. That's I don't know. possible. I don't know um, that I've ever woken up and not known immediately where I was and what I was doing. It's just... I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, I guess, and then it goes on to say that REM sleep goes on longer, like, it goes in stages, like, it's kind of like a cycle. Oh, I think I did know that. Um, but. Yeah, your brain, like, starts to ramp up while your body sinks deeper. Okay, and this is why. Babies can spend up to 50% of their sleep in the REM stage. Babies are freaking weird. They're only about 20% for adults. <laughs> but I think that's anyway, why so like there, you get into that, that sense of like really, really deep sleep where your brain is active, but your body is like completely shut down. And that's why you have people who have um, sleep paralysis where their mind suddenly snaps awake for whatever reason, and they can't move their body because their body isn't awake. Like this is really general terms, but their body isn't functioning at this point because it is still in the state of deep sleep but their mind is awake and they feel a lot of times um at least from what i've heard this is what uh apparently a lot of people believe ufo counters are attributed to um or ufo abductions because people believe that like as they're paralyzed like their brain isn't quite functioning the way that it would when you're awake and like lights are more blurred and sounds seem really distorted and strange and like all these shapes are more uh, amorphous and, and don't really have much form to them. Um, so you get this weird sense of what's going on around you and you're paralyzed because, you know, you're in the state where your body can't move. Um, but it's, I mean, it sounds terrifying, but, um, but yeah, so apparently Cody's getting some sleep because he would need to be sleeping for as WebMD would be to believe, um, 90 minutes or if WebMD is to be believed, um, 90 minutes in order to, (laughs) to even start dreaming. Um, but I have a lot of questions like how this power works because I don't know about you. I don't dream very often, but when I do 30 seconds in a dream is equivalent to like two hours real time. Like I can have a dream that feels super, super quick and I wake up and it's been like three hours. So I wonder how that works for, for Cody in this, in this world, like is time moving weirdly for him or like do his projections? I don't know. I don't know how that would translate to a, to this weird situation. Um, I don't know. Um, 
I mean, Cody's a special case, you know. Yeah. Um, and it could be that just as soon as he's asleep, he drops into REM sleep. That's true. We have no idea how his brain works, um, considering it's so incredibly unusual. Um, I can't say I consider what's going on a gift. Um, uh, I don't think that I would call Maybe it. later on it is, but... It's... Well, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. Um... um <laughs> So, uh, the next day, um, the next day after school, Jesse shows Cody some home videos of Sean. Yes. Like opening Christmas presents and, or birthday presents, stuff like that. Christmas presents, I think. Um, and as he, she does, like Cody's, um, perception of who Sean used to be gets stronger. Um. Yeah. And then Mark accuses her of doing this stuff um, instead of like actually being a parent to Cody, she's using him to make Sean again, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I think that might come a little later, but yeah, cause like she says um, like they sit down and she's, um, she's again in therapy and telling the therapist how like the, actually I don't know if they are a therapist, but telling like the group leader um, how, you know, she felt like Sean was there and like, he was like, you know, it's, it's totally normal to, to feel that way. She's like, no, like he was there. And like, and he's trying to explain it away using scientific principles <laughs> and, and she's trying to get through to him. And, um, then Mark comes home and finds that like, there's all the pictures of, of, um, Luke are back up on the walls. Um, and then as they're sitting down for dinner, she puts on the home movie and he's Luke. totally surprised. Sean. Luke. Their son. What was their son's Sean. name? For some reason, I thought his name was Luke. Sean. Who said Luke? You said nope. Luke. It's your fault. You did. <laughs> Just now. <laughs> I didn't say it. I swear you said Luke earlier. <laughs> Sean. So they put up all the pictures of Sean again. Um, and he's really surprised by that. And then they, she says about putting on this home movie. And you can, you can tell. Like, he's really shocked. Like, why are we watching a home movie of our of our dead son? Like, why why are we doing this? And like, it's really weird and strange and she puts it on and she's kind of like, um, watching the home movie, but also watching, uh, Cody to like, make sure that he's paying attention. And like, it, it just feels really weird. And I said that to, to Kitty when we were watching. Memorize his face. Memorize it. <laughs> Holding his face up at the TV. <laughs> um, <laughs> I said that to Kitty when we were watching, I was like, this feels really gross. Like this feels ew. Like. It, she, it does. It has a very icky feel. Yeah, like she's very much taking advantage of this little boy. And like, I get it. Like grief, I've never felt grief on that profound a level. And I, I hope that I never, ever do. Um, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And I imagine it does terrible things to you. But it just, like, in this crazy over-the-top circumstance, I can still see that it's it's morally wrong to take advantage of this little boy this way. Um, and that... Um, that night, the, again, they have this dream, or they're, they're sitting there, and she's making, like, pot after pot after pot of coffee, and he says, like, maybe he just won't do it tonight, or, you know, maybe he's just too tired, or maybe he's, he's you know, he's he's not going to sleep because um, he's too scared, uh, and then eventually, right as he's going to throw in the towel and goes to walk away, uh, she says, I think she just uh, tells him to look, and there's a Christmas tree in their living room. I wasn't there before and like presents start appearing around it and stuff. Oh, it's just so sad. And I think, I think Cody's there too. Mm. Or, um, Sean. 
um, yeah. opening presents and stuff. I think that's when Sean comes down the stairs, because that's what he does in the home movie. Yeah. He comes down the <clears> stairs, <throat> and he's super excited. Um, Presumably, it's Christmas morning. Yep. It, it, it It's not fair to Cody what Jesse's doing, um, and it's not fair for either of them to have to go through this, because, at least at this point, it's not real. Um, yeah. I mean, it is, but like, let, let's just suppose that Cody can do this every night and there's no danger of something horrible killing you um, as the dreams go on. Uh, it's not sustainable. Let's say I, I passed away and somebody in your house can conjure me. It still wouldn't be the real me. And what are you going to do? Stay up all night talking to me? Like spending time with me? What are you going to do the next day? You know, and like, to even have it be like an interim period, like... A day here or a day there, like you still can't. I, I don't know. Like you'll just never be a normal person or as normal as people can get ever again. Yeah, um, yeah. It's there's no there's no good that comes from this, and it again that 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 grief is something that I I hope to never understand, and and like how that would skew your perceptions and how that would skew your morals and and things like that. Um, but they're they're just so overwhelmed and so happy to have their little boy again. And I, I can't imagine that rush of emotion that you'd have. Um, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is the night where, as they're interacting with Sean, and as they're out, like, you know, going through this amazing miracle in their eyes experience, um, that's when we hear this creepy, raspy breathing and, it, like, these slow footsteps. And we see something from, I think, from their perspective going into Cody's room. Uh, and leaning down over his bed and there's this I think you just see like the creepy mouth and it says something like I'm always with you and it's super fucking creepy and he jolts awake and of course everything disappears (laughs) and like they're they're holding Sean and like he disappears and they like fall into each other and like it's really sad and they're both trying to figure out what's going on um yeah this movie really um runs home the truth of the fact that what's dead should stay dead yeah um which is a very supernatural (laughs) thing um, a super, a, a literally and figuratively. <laughs> well, <yeah>. Um, <laughs> but I, I like it I, to me, it like really proves that death is a very important part of life. Um, it's, it's permanent, you know, like, I don't know if there's an afterlife or heaven and hell and all that stuff. I, and that's not what I'm talking about. I just mean in this life, the one that we can see and touch when it's done, it's done. Unless you're Jesus or Lazarus. Yeah. Both physically and spiritually, death has a lot of significance on, you know, everyday life and our, you know, our, our reason for wanting to do things with our lives. Um, and it's a crazy powerful topic that people could spend years and years talking about, but yeah, it, it is, there's a lot of things that this movie encompasses so well. Um, and that's this idea of, of death and trying to, trying to cheat death in a way and, and trying to pull things back from you know, from that brink and that's, you can't cheat the hangman. Um, but yeah, I, Lewis black, one of my <laughs> favorite comedians had a joke. Um, <laughs> and I, I understand what he's trying to say, but the way he worded it, I, if I ever see him in person, I'm going to bring this up. I have to know. I got to talk to him about it. Actually, I did see him in person, but he wasn't in a position to talk to me one-on-one, but, um, <clears throat> okay. He had a joke that he wants to send a bunch of people out to figure out what's dead and what's alive. And if they don't figure it out, we're going to kill them. 
So it's a funny joke, but there's another facet to that joke, is if these people come back not knowing what's dead or alive, then threatening to kill them if they fail suddenly becomes almost an empty threat, because nobody will know what that means. I think that's a very philosophical way of looking at a joke, but I don't think you're wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Like, if you don't figure out what's dead or alive, I'm going to kill you. Like, I, will, I, I don't know what that means. Is that bad? Is that a good thing? I... Uh, anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think it's it's the next day at school that Cody is very clearly, like, not doing well. Oh, it is the next and day. He's not he's not doing well. And, oh, he's, he's not doing well. under his eyes. Bags under his eyes, I mean. He's got big circles, circles under his eyes. Tea bags under his <laughs> eyes. Used... Wet tea bags that are all dark and hanging down and soggy. That's what he's got under his eyes. what you're supposed to do, apparently, when you have, like, if your eyes really sore and burned up or you have something in there you can't get out, you're supposed to boil a tea bag, let it cool, and then put it in your eye. Oh. That sounds like something that would be the topic of an article online where it starts out with, like, doctors don't want you to know this about the bags under your eyes. Like, they think you're going to fucking click it. Like, they have some kind of fucking miracle (laughs) cure on that page. And the truth is... They don't. <laughs> it's just some stupid bullshit. Like, what doctors don't want you to know is that you can get a good night's rest and drink some water the next day and feel better. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking hate articles like that. God damn it. And you can always fucking tell when you see them, too. It's a bunch of bullshit. And that is what everybody's wasting their fucking time. Not everybody, but. Uh, well, yeah. A good chunk of people. <laughs> and there was a there was this big push in the, like, mid early to mid 2000s where like people realized that like the dvr boxes that you got back when like recording shows was a big big thing that they had hard drives in them yeah and like they were like these are what the big companies don't want you to know like you can take them apart and get these like you know 200 gig hard drives out of these or whatever like some ridiculously small (laughs) to our comparison now and like you know look you've got this this hard drive in here and like yes that's true you can do that, but typically they're really low cycling hard drives. They're not really great. They're, they're what you would use in like a, a CCTV system. Like they're not good hard drives. So like, just like get over right. it. You're not, you're not breaking, like you're not <laughs> exposing some secret. You're not. So <laughs> somebody made this amazing video and they were like, this is what these companies don't want you to know. And like, they took apart a VCR and like every time they would take something apart, like they would pull the, the case off and there was like an iPod underneath. And they were like, there's a full iPod touch in here. <laughs> that's awesome it just kept getting better and better that's what those articles would have you think there is something more valuable than what you paid for inside the device and there isn't yeah you're not gonna like whatever here's a miracle cure for this here's what they don't want you to know about your car insurance (laughs) and people buy that shit it staggers me (laughs) it's just i don't i don't get it i don't get it at all I just it doesn't make sense. Then to me. You have to send me a link to that video. That's I'll just see if I can find it. It ends with him being like, because then I can stop being mad about articles like that and just laugh at it. <laughs> it is too, so. that would be helpful. I think about probably. it every time I see stuff like that. But here's what doctors don't want you to know about being angry. It actually extends your life by 500 fucking years. <laughs> you will to live through. I'm gonna live forever, spite. son. <laughs> I will. I will live through sheer spite. <laughs> so it's at school. Uh, the teacher's like, Cody, like, you know, why don't you go see the nurse? And he's like, I just need to, I just need to like rest for a little while. Or I, you know, I don't feel good. It's recess. She's trying to get him to go out to recess. And he says, he doesn't feel good. And she's like, well, why don't you go to the nurse's office oh, and sleep? Right. And he's like, I'll just stay yeah. here for a little bit. And she's like, okay. Like for whatever reason, it's like, okay. And like turns out the lights and leaves this little boy in the classroom as she goes to do 
you know, whatever. Like take a break from watching 30 angry little kids. And that's when the bully <laughs> conveniently sneaks back in, uh, followed by, what'd you say the little girl's name was? The really nice little girl. Um, Annie. I think. Annie. For some reason she's Annie. there too, but yeah. the bully comes in and he's. I remember another Annie who is also an orphan, but I don't think this girl was. So. I don't think so. The hard canker knock life. And I, <laughs> is he getting ready to like give him a wedgie or something? Like he's getting ready to do something. No, it was worse than that. I he's I don't know. He's gonna go up to him. I don't know. Probably try and beat the shit out of him or Something. cut him in the face with a pair of scissors. Whatever little pieces of shit do. Yeah, and this like he seems a little bit more than just your average bully. Like he's gonna do something kind of crappy, and I don't remember what it was. But he's like sneaking up to him, and then he sees. But he picks a bad time to do it. He sees a moth. I think if I remember. Oh, correctly. I think he he asks if he can stay at his desk because he sees little shit stain oh, that's outside right. in the hallway. And he's like, can I just stay here, please? Teacher. Yeah. And she's like, okay, just go ahead and rest at your desk. And <laughs> I don't know if he purposely fell asleep. As I don't a think he did. Thing. I don't know, but he I, probably I, fell asleep because he fucking had to, because he doesn't ever fucking yeah. sleep. Yeah. I think he physically at but that anyway. point was like, he couldn't stop himself. Like he, it, the way that they portray it, he's like slowly sinking into his desk. Like he can't actually hold himself up anymore. And like, he's, he like eventually just has to like lay down, like physically can't hold himself up and just lays down. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think if I remember correctly, the little snot nosed bully kid sees a moth and that's what like tips you off that something's not right. And it's not a beautiful, pretty thing. It's like a, a dark colored, like death's head kind of moth. And that's, I think when he turns around, and you see this weird gangly thing in the hallway that's like got really long arms and like a sunken chest and like it's rasping and like slowly moving. And then it screams and just fucking takes off like a shot. Like it moves way faster than any evil thing is meant to do. And it made me feel so uncomfortable. Oh, I would probably try not to. I don't know. I think my first reaction would be to not move. Maybe like, <laughs> I think maybe that's everybody's first thing when they're confronted with something that's terrifying and they don't understand is that if they don't move like maybe it'll go away you know like, I, it's not unreasonable sure I, I think that it's it's probably some deep-seated natural response that we have to overwhelming terror to just hope that if we don't move we'll be okay but like oh oh and poor annie was standing there in the doorway and saw the whole yep, thing she is she's fucked forever forever she's at an age <laughs> where she's never gonna forget that uh, I would say it can't be any worse for her than it was for the girl in Jumanji. Um, uh, Sarah Whittle. I guess. But that thing had rules. And she might have been old enough to understand. Well, the thing has rules, too. How did, I mean, Andy doesn't know it. All right, but, like, <laughs> if we played a game of Monopoly when you and I were <laughs> 8, 9, uh, 11, 12, sure, somewhere sure, around there. Sure. And, like, I, I had to go straight to jail, and, like, chains and, like, cuffs came out of the game and chained me and drug me into the game. Like, do you think you'd be able to explain that away? <laughs> um, no. It, had, it rules. But I would but... immediately go out and try to buy something with Monopoly money. <laughs> that is a good point. <laughs> um, yes, Annie is presumably screwed up forever, and... The little asshole bully kid is, he's gone. He's fucking eaten. 
He's eaten by this strange entity. He got... Um, and Annie screaming is what uh, wakes up whatever his name is. Luke, Sean, Cody. Mm-hmm. Yes. And at the same time, Jesse, um, it says she goes to a doctor, but I think she works at the doctors. Like she's wearing scrubs. Yeah, she? she definitely, they don't really talk about what either one of them do professionally, but she's in a hospital, like wearing scrubs working. Like, I think she's a nurse or something. Supposedly Mark doesn't do anything. Maybe he's a stay at home dad. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah. So she talks to her doctor, whoever, and she's like, Hey, Cody's having trouble sleeping. And he's like, well, at that age, it's really important they get lots of sleep. So he, I forget what she, or he prescribes. Um, I think it was Ritalin or something like that. Or he says it was like something mm-hmm. equivalent to. I thought for some reason I was thinking it had something to do with that, but I don't know. I don't know drugs. I don't. Vitamin K or something. <laughs> I'm going to go score some dope at the. I don't know. Weed place. Um, <laughs> what's, what's dope supposed to be? Isn't that, is that cocaine or is that heroin? Uh, I, don't, see, I don't even know what I'm buying. Yeah. <laughs> dope. I hope this isn't the bad Ecstasy one. Ecstasy is different than acid, which is also not the same as LSD, I guess. I, uh, well, I don't do you, know. Do you smoke acid? No, that doesn't sound right. I, I, I remember from um, Flight of the Concords, I think you put acid on your tongue. Oh, that's right. <laughs> he was trying to fake do it, but he accidentally did it. And Yeah. Yeah, I think it comes like in like a paper sheet. Okay. I learned that from um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I learned a lot about drugs. and I, I learned you can put cocaine in a pepper shaker, well, a salt shaker, and nobody would really know. <laughs> that's fair. I mean. Until they salted their... Pepper. Um, um, at any rate, <laughs> yes, we are we are not drug addicts. Doctor gives her pills for Cody, uh, and um, I think actually I think after this, uh, this plot summary is not complete. I think um, he um, Cody stays home that day with Mark. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, let's go get a race car bed or what, you know, whatever you want. And, you know, but just when, when Jesse gets home, just pretend to have a cough or something, you know? Yeah. It's a really sweet moment um, where you feel and, like they're really connecting. Yeah. I think Mark really liked um, Cody and they liked each other. Uh, but it's not to last. Because they get home, they're having their bro time, putting his bed together and stuff and... They, you know, they're playing Nintendo or something, and then she makes dessert for them both while they're repainting his room, and she puts a sleeping pill in Cody's milk, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I, I I now realize I think she did that for selfish reasons, too. Oh, 100%, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't realize that before. I thought she was just... Trying to be a good mother, like he needs to sleep. But now I realize I think she was doing it so she could see Sean again. Um, yeah. And longer. But it goes poorly. At this point, we understand how this could be very dangerous. Because um, you think, you know, oh, a kid's dreams, like, you, same thing that, that Jesse does. Like, you know, it, it can be a magical thing. You know, it, it can bring you closer to, you know, 
people you've lost and whatever else. And like, you don't see how this can get really fucked up really fast. So yeah, there that night is when Mark confronts her and says that like, this doesn't feel right. Like this isn't, it feels like abuse. And she says like, she obviously gets really offended by that. And she's like, you know, this isn't abuse. Like he, he needs to sleep. Like, do you not want to see him? And, and he's like, that's not our son. Like, that's not our son. That's coming back. Like it, he doesn't, he doesn't look like he doesn't talk to us. Like it, it, you know, he looks exactly the same as he did in those pictures in that video. Like it's not our son. Like, I don't know what it is, but it's not him. Like he, we can't bring him back. And she's getting really upset with him. And she says to him, don't take him away from me again. And it's just, it's so hard. It's so hard. And I, I, oh, like, so does she reveal that she blames Mark for that somehow? I think that what we're supposed to infer is that he was giving Sean a bath and left him for a period of time. And I'm guessing that Sean slipped mm. um, and hurt himself in a way that he couldn't get himself out of the tub. He couldn't get a grip on something, get himself out of the tub and he drowned. Um, I believe that is what we're supposed to infer. And she apparently blames Mark for this, even though it, reasonably they're they're i don't know i mean uh, with the limited amount of information we that's have, that's not fair and he says so <laughs> yeah it's really not fair like he's hurting just as much and he you know who knows how much pain he's got you know blaming himself for this and so it's awful and right when he goes to leave and she's trying to apologize to him is when they see um this time instead of just being a tree and i think last time it was just cody and this time instead of being just um, just Cody, it's Cody and the tree and presence. And each one of the, um, the butterflies are now a bright color, like the Christmas tree lights. And like, they're all like flashing and they're like a luminescent and it's yeah. really There's beautiful. There's some really beautiful parts to this movie. Yeah. It's stunningly beautiful. She sees Cody and she's, uh, or not Cody. She sees, um, Sean and she's like, Sean, like she tries to talk to him and hug him and he coughs and she's like, what's wrong? And he like coughs up muddy water on her. Yeah. It's, oh. He's kind of monstery now. It's really chilling and haunting. And and he does that. And I wish Mark had, like, run upstairs to wake Cody like he did. And on his way up, he'd be like, I told you so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I think uh, we, we skipped over a part that's fairly important. Um, as Mark and Jesse are having this conversation, um, it's uh, right when Jesse or right, right, right when Jesse gets home with the pills and everything is when they're like, you know, having pizza and they just built um, Cody's bed. And uh, he's telling her basically pulls her aside and says, like, this isn't this isn't right. It feels like abuse what you're doing. And they're kind of having this argument back and forth. And then I think at some point during that conversation, they bring up the fact that the police came and Cody gets really uncomfortable and starts asking questions to try to, like, divert their attention and. Um, and isn't really like able to divert them as they're talking to each other about the police being there and how the kid at school ran away and whatever. And she's like, he ran away like those poor parents. And like, um, then he just blurts out, how did Sean die? And like, it's this really weird yeah. forceful question. That's very obviously supposed to divert their attention. And like it, it works cause it's really uncomfortable. So that's how he knew that Sean had drowned. And that's why this manifestation of Sean is now coughing up muddy water. He's he, Cody is very uncomfortable with anybody being sick or dying or dead. Um, so I think that's now ruining his dreams about Sean. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Yeah. So, Monster Boy appears, and 
Mark runs upstairs to wake up uh, Cody mm-hmm. to get him to stop. Um, and the canker man now shows up and um, I think he's knocking Jesse around a little bit. Uh, yeah, he comes out of the present. The top flies right. off the present. And it reminds yeah. me of that short that I sent you. It's called like the box or something. Oh, it's the like other this, side of the box. I'll never forget that. That's awful. But yeah, it's like it's this just it deep cavernous black hole and like these arms like come out and grab around the sides and start like pulling itself out and I'm like oh oh it's awful and it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's worse because it's this really wholesome really beautiful scene of this like beautiful presence and it's this ideal uh you know like christmas tree setting you know the presence under the tree and this awful terrible thing comes out and it's this weird juxtaposition between the two yes so Mark gives Cody some little slaps to try and wake him up. Because yeah. um, Jesse tells him that she drugged his milk. Yeah. And then they both end up upstairs, and Mark tries to fight the canker man, and it, like, waxy sucks him in. Yeah. Absorbs him, like, the thing style. Yeah, really. Um... Yeah, so I guess at some point, probably right after Mark gets absorbed, Cody wakes up and she she gets knocked unconscious by Cankerman. Yeah, um, which doesn't make much sense to me. I don't understand why he woke up. Like, if she drugged him and she's, she's like, he's going to be asleep for a while. Like, he wakes up a minute later. Like, yeah. I mean, he had to because the story wouldn't have continued otherwise. Um, it actually would have made for a really dark ending if she had gotten slapped to the floor and, and passed out. And the next thing we saw was Mark getting sent or uh, uh, next thing we saw was Cody getting sent to a new family. That would have been like a really, really fucked up. That, ending. that would have been. Yeah. And maybe this time he goes to the parents. is like, I have something to tell you oh. back. And this time with an extra member. Sorry. I was out fighting crime or something. Mm, that's yeah. <laughs> um, so we had just talked about how Mark got sucked into the canker man. Uh, <laughs> Jesse had been knocked out and Cody had conveniently woken up in time for her not to also get eaten by the canker man. And then mm-hmm. the cops show up and somehow immediately know that she drugged Cody. Like immediately. Immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, it seems to be the primary reason why they took him away again. And it's like, well, his, like they were prescribed by a doctor. Yeah. It's not like she was just you know? giving him like her own sleep aids or something. And, like, it, he legitimately had an issue with sleep, and, like, sleep issues then lead to other issues. Like, but I think that the problem more for them was that they were under the impression that Mark had beat the shit out of her and was probably going to do the same to Cody because she had a giant-ass bruise on her face and the um, social worker made a comment about, like, get yourself some help and get out of your abusive marriage. And, like, mm. you're never going to see Cody again. Like, I can't believe you would take him into that environment, essentially, was was the gist mm. of it. And the police also made a, some com- comment about how they thought that Mark might have been involved with the disappearance of the shitty little bully kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean... <laughs> These cops are just looking for anyone to pin, like, 
Three things happen in this town. Someone's re- someone's <laughs> responsible for all of them. I'm sure of it. Well, and I mean, I'm sure that it would have been less of like a your husband is a shitty abuser if it weren't for the fact that their biological son had drowned under his watch. Yeah. Yes. So like. <laughs> Hang on. I was gonna bring that up. Like it's I don't know what disqualifies you from adopting somebody, but like. You had your first child drowned, and I understand it's an accident and it's terrible and, and stuff like that happens. But can you adopt a kid if another one drowned on your watch? Like I don't know. That's a fair question. I mean, unfortunately, and this is going to get a little bit political here for a second. The adoption system is a money making scheme, so like whoever has the funds to pay for a kid can get one. Is basically what it boils down to. And speaking of these cops, they they remind me of the two cops from Big Mouth. Do you remember them? No. Vaguely. We gotta find out what went on in this hair house this year there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, they're just like, all right, uh, case closed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, so then this starts her realizing that, like, this is quite literally all her fault. And I'm not saying she doesn't wasn't driven by grief. I'm not saying that she didn't have, you know, her own reasons, but like quite literally, her husband is now gone. Her adoptive son, adopted son, is now being taken away from her, and she needs to figure out what to do. So she She starts doing the stereotypical horror movie thing where she's like looking at old yeah. documents and <laughs> she does everything but go to the library and look at microfiche yeah um. <laughs> she she goes to the social worker the social worker is like it's none of your fucking business yeah don't and... steal this file that i'm leaving here i'm gonna go do something else but don't steal this file <laughs> <laughs> and she steals it mm-hmm. um and tracks down the previous families Sort of. How awful. I'm, Maybe I'm not, you'll find okay. what you're looking for here, there, now. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, here, now, how shit do you have to be at your job to put a file <laughs> down about a kid who has been kicked out of every family he's been in for the past, like, three families, and all, all of which have had weird things happen to them, like, to put it down in front of one of the families who had weird things happen... And then come back after leaving the room with this person, uh, or leaving the, leaving the room with this person, letting them alone with this file, and coming back and finding that it's gone, and not notice or not do anything about it. Like it was <laughs> presumably several hours had gone by until Jesse comes back again, and like she's just like, oh, where did I put that file? And it was a very big file. Yeah. Like it would have been hard to miss that it was gone. <laughs> like, yeah. I just well, she's whatever. in the social uh, social wellness system or whatever, so she is like you know case is closed. She didn't look at it again. Yeah, <laughs> she's got three hundred other kids she's desperately trying to find families for. Um, so the social worker puts him in the in essentially like an orphanage, like a children's home, La Llorona style. That's like in the building with them, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know, and honestly. I mean, I guess there's got to be a few somewhere, but I feel like children's homes like that don't really exist anymore. Maybe in, like, New York City. They're doing horror movies. But, like, in in this area, most kids who end up... I mean, we live in a very, very small town. The population is, like, 6,000. So 
like it's a very very small area but a lot of times the kids who are put up into foster care like emergency foster care are put into emergency placements like they have families that are like kind of on call essentially for taking in a foster kid at the last second they just break like, the glass and hit the button <laughs> um, emergency <laughs> adoption wow wow um jesse goes to a psychiatric place um yes where she uses the file to she illegally uses this document to find information on previous families that cody has been placed with and she finds and she the most finds Waylon. recent family which is the family that we saw at the very beginning of the movie um where he comes into cody's room with a gun and cody wakes up at the last second and like right as Waylon is shooting, presumably at the canker man, chasing after him, shuffling. <laughs> yeah, and uh, she has a conversation with him, and like it's very guarded on both of their ends for a little bit. Like mm. she's like, "Hey, weird things," <laughs> and hey, he's like, "Want to buy some children?" <laughs> He's like, I, too, have seen weird things, but I can't say that in here, so. (laughs) To be fair, I mean, he is, he has been told for the past, I mean, it's kind of like the, the, I forget his name, the kid from Oculus. He's been told for the past, who knows how many months, years, that everything that he saw, all these terrifying events, these, these awful things that happened to him were all in his head and he made them up. And they were just coping mechanisms for his wife leaving him or, you know, whatever. Um, so at that point, he's been broken down a bit. So, yeah, it's just it is kind of a fun back and forth between the two of them. Um, and like she starts asking him all these questions he explains that his wife was also taken by the canker man and then he kind of did what she had done um with her son she had he had done with his wife after she had been taken by the canker man which is somehow even worse than it adds another level yeah, of really creepiness to this showed him hugging her yeah oh like oh my god and like he's also forcing what did it cody me to think look of at that dumb movie um, it was like the masks from uh, Us, or why does it make me think the Purge? We're here, oh, or yeah. they're here, or I know what you're talking about like something her, like that. The weird face that she has, yeah, it's super weird and fucked up. And he's like trying to get him to look at pictures of her, but it's like it's like hugging a three dimensional picture. It doesn't yeah. have depth. It doesn't have emotion. It's not a real thing. It's a it's a it's a physical it's a holo- holographic projection with some physical density to it. That's it. Like it's it's a well, picture. And her face wasn't entirely there either. And yeah. he makes a comment about how he had started to hate him because the only memory that he had of her wasn't enough to like actually make her have her facial features like she was just like a weird blob of herself yeah but like it's it's an even weirder level to this with him like hugging this projection and like every night like going to this thing and finding comfort in it but also the fact that like 
he's forcing Cody to try to fix something that Cody couldn't have controlled. And like, he's like trying to force him to give him back his wife. And it's not really her. It's like, it adds a whole nother level to this really disgusting, weird situation that like is so it's just strange and like kind of hideous. And it, it just makes it so much worse. Like at the beginning of the movie, I was like, Oh, this is really, and then like it got to this and I was like, Oh, like, this is so Ew. much worse. Ew. Ew. Yes. Super creepy. Yeah. So he tells her what it was about. Um, and then she goes to, I guess it's her hospital where she works again. Sure, why not? It's probably the only hospital in the town. Well, no, she um, went to a different hospital and said that she was sent over there by a doctor from a different hospital after he had transferred. Mm-hmm. And that he oh. needed records for a specific patient. Yeah, and the nurse is like, do you have the patient transfer forms? And she's like, I just need to look at him or something like that. And the nurse is like, all right, nurse code. <laughs> And then whenever she tell like finds out that it was from like years and years and years ago, the nurse is like, "You can take those. Yeah, you can just have <laughs> this box of this woman's stuff. We don't care. Like, just take it." Which I don't know if they would have kept yes. it that long anyway. Um, I don't know, but yeah. it has a butterfly-shaped pillow and a journal in it. A journal. <clears throat> and. Also, I guess around the same time she's looking in the box, um, <laughs> I'd like to point out again, one of the primary reasons they took Cody away from her, again, was because she, quote, drugged him. Yeah. And at the orphanarium or whatever, there is a <laughs> nurse woman jamming a needle into Cody's arm full of drugs, and the social worker's like, this is for your own good, Cody. Yeah. They Forcibly, forcibly drug him instead of like calmly doing it. Yeah. Like, his... well, he, they might have tried with the milk, and he was like, "I'm not falling for that again." Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll never eat or drink anything ever again. <laughs> uh... Yeah, it is kind of hypocritical that they're like, "You, you did this terrible thing, and like you secretly drugged him without his knowledge." We're gonna hold him down the whole time that he's screaming and shove a needle in his arm. Because we are better yep. than you. <laughs> I'm not saying the social social children's laws and stuff are not essential. They are. There's times when that, those things are very much needed. I also think that system, by its own authority that's given to it, can be abused very easily. Not just by the people mm-hmm. that work in it, but by anybody outside of that organization. Like, basically, if anyone calls and says you're abusing your children, they will come to your door. And I'm pretty sure they come there already believing that you're absolutely guilty and they're going to find evidence. Yeah. And that's just not okay. Like, there's no checks. There's no balances. You know, once somebody makes a complaint, they can kind of do whatever they want. Whatever they want. <sighs> so, kind of like the Fish and Game Commission. <laughs> kind of is. I understand sometimes <laughs> they just... have to arrest hunters and people with guns. But I've seen Fish and Game people out and about. They are armed to the fucking teeth. Like, state cops don't even have anything near what the Fish and Game Commission has. It's ridiculous, but... Anyway. Yeah. It is... It Yeah. 
Um, so as Jesse's <laughs> reading Fizz information, she gets an idea of what's going on. And I forget if we see a quick glimpse of the medical chart for this woman or not, but she then like some spark goes off and she realizes what's going on. And she immediately goes to where she knows that Cody's being held because she has the paperwork that she stole from the social worker. So she goes to this, right. um, would you call it an orphanarium? Um, and gets there uh, and finds <clears throat> there's moths everywhere. Uh, she's like walking in through the door and takes a step and the entire staircase moves because it was like covered in these moths that like flutter up to the ceiling and it's this really weird creepy scene Mm. and then she starts going through the building and and finding that people are in cocoons that actually the the moths natalie the moths were like the only real like effective jump scare for me in the whole movie, like they, whenever they fluttered up, I was like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> I don't think there were many jump scares in this movie. There weren't. Um, so that's probably why it was effective. But was Natalie, <laughs> Natalie, the social lady, stuck to the wall in yes. vines. I, I don't think I could have resisted, but in going up to have been like, "Boop." <laughs> See, you don't know everything <laughs> like, about everything. You get real close to your and be like, "I told you so." Um, flicker in the nose but yeah she she i forget if she says it or if she thinks back to it and we hear it hear the audio but um she says she remembers cody saying that it puts itself in a cocoon to protect itself from danger um talking about butterflies and she realizes that cody somewhere in his subconscious like wrapped people in cocoons to keep them safe from the canker man and apparently works which is kind of a cool level to this thing but it kind of I guess Cody knowing a little bit more now and kind of refining how he's going to deal with this thing is, is sort of how he's learning to protect these people. But I mean, it makes you realize that he's got some control over this, even when he's, you know, knocked out completely and he's dreaming um, because he has, he has this way to protect people. So there's, there's something going on. Um, But yeah, she walks into a room that contains like, husks of people that the canker man has absorbed i think um I think yeah yeah and then uh, mark is in there his eyes are missing and there's moths crawling out of his eye holes i think um yeah, and like a weird eyeless lady like cracks and transfigures a little kid's face i'm guessing it's sean um or no maybe it was the wayward boy that he sucked in at the school i don't know Tate, I think was his name. Mm. Tate. Um, and she's all like, blah, 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 not real, and runs away. But, I mean, they are real, but... Mm. And then I think the next room that she sees is one that has a tub in it. And Sean's She hears her there. son's voice. Isn't there splashing around? Yeah. Mm. Yep. Finally, she, she is accosted by the canker man. I'm sorry. Yes. Well, she ends up on her back it, underneath of the tub and, like, her kid, her dead kid with his missing eyes, like, creeps over the edge of the tub and, like, is, like, uh, looking was on, at her. That was one of the, yeah, yeah. that was on one was of, like, super the, unsettling. the teaser images. Yeah. Ugh. Mm. So she shuts the doors on everything and walks out into the hall and there's the canker man. And it screams at her. 
and runs towards her, and then she pulls out the butterfly pillow that was his mother's. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I guess she's showing it that it under that she understands what it is. Yeah. Um, and here the movie gets even sadder, and it does till the end of the movie. Ugh. But like it shows uh. Cody when he's three, he's just he's just a little baby, barely more than a toddler. You know, and his mom is dying of some kind of very virulent cancer that's, like, devouring her whole. And she's she looks like the canker man is a caricature of what she looked like when she died. Yeah. And that's why Cody hates when anybody gets sick. Like, he gets super upset and stuff. And it's so sad. Um, um, and it turns and out Jesse... the canker man is, like, his... Okay. I was just going to say, Jesse deduces that canker was his version of cancer. And, like, he was a little boy and he saw it on, a like, a piece of paper. And in his brain it said canker, not cancer. Well, the doctor said uh, shit. That's why. And so he thought that the canker man had come and taken his mom and, like, sucked all of the life out of her. And it turned into a monster in his dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, but his mom knew how special he was. Like, knew that he, his dreams, like, came true and stuff. And it started when he was just an infant and just, like, colors and butterflies and, like, beautiful images. Mm. Um, but then after she died, um, it turned into horrible things most of the time. Yeah. And then, I forget what happens to the canker man. Um, I think it just kind of like dissolves and flutters away. Uh, and she takes, pick, she picks up the still sleeping form of Cody and takes him home. <clears throat> and then, um, he's, him and Jesse and Cody are sitting on the couch and, like, he's asking her questions. I don't remember what they all were, but it's basically, like, what happened to the people that are missing now? Like, what, whatever. And she gives him, like, this cool, like, little talk that, you know, like, are, are they happy now? And she's like, well, if you want them to be, then yeah. And, like, Mark is reunited with Sean, wherever they are now. Um, mm-hmm. Waylon's reunited with uh, it- his wife. Makes a comment that there's a possibility that Cody could bring them back, maybe, if he dreamt them back into existence, essentially. Like. Yeah, she said something along the lines of, well, I choose to believe it in this story, that they're happy. That, that you know, if the little boy, and she, I think she keeps referring to Cody as the little boy, um, you know dreams that this is how it happens and this is how it happens and like mark is you know she calls him daddy is reunited with his his boy and like it's it's sweet but it's again just really sad because you don't know if this is her hoping or if this is her trying to make cody feel better about these terrible things that he is ultimately responsible for even if he couldn't really control it and it's just i think at this point she actually loves cody for cody and she's not trying to manipulate his gifts at all. Like, I think now she's just trying to make him feel better. And yeah. 
you know, he's he's worried about the fates of these people, and she's telling him, uh, you know, wherever they are, they're they're happy now. And yeah, I think it is true now that the canker man's gone. Yeah, that's the way oh. I chose to see it because I almost cried. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I sobbed uncontrollably for like <laughs> an hour. Yeah, and could not stop crying. <sighs> Just you were crying. Wait, what are my values? Yeah, well, and. <laughs> Mike Flanagan has a way of doing that to me with every single one of his movies and Mike shows. Flanagan, I mean, I got choked again. up at the end of Haunting of Hill House. I got choked up, really choked up at the end of uh, the Haunting of Bly Manor. Um, yeah. Bly Manor, yeah. That one's rough. Yep. That's, I, I really Mass, that I, I don't know. Recently. The... We didn't finish Midnight yeah. Mass, just a heads up. So we, we have like one episode left. Every time Vic is in the mood to watch it, I'm not, and vice versa. So, like, it's just a struggle. Can you just watch the last We're fucking the episode, bus. please? Yeah. Um, we can finally talk about it. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> but one thing that we didn't mention that I think is, is again, just kind of like this whole movie is like a, a weird exploration of grief and sadness and loss and how you deal with it. And it is kind of um, so there's, there's a part at the end where she's talking about, um, she's basically telling Cody how these things came to be and helping him understand what the canker man is and where it came from. And, and also by extension, us as the audience. Um, but there's a part where, um, Cody's mom leans down when he's just a little boy. Um, he sees her in this, you know, just weakened state where you know she's being eaten alive and it's it's horrific and it you know she looks like an otherworldly creature and he he goes up to her and he's like snuggling up to her and she's holding him and she says i'll always be with you and the thought that something that was said out of such love and such kindness and such warmth and something that you you want to impart this this knowledge on somebody that i'll I'll always be with you i'll always be here to protect you i'll always be this force with you like i'll always i'll always be there for you gets turned into this really awful creature, like raspily whispering, whispering in your ear that you know, like, I'll always like, it's just, it's another level of just really sad. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. So Max, this was your pick. What was your favorite part? Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> my favorite part, <sighs> my, my favorite part was the ending Mm. Um, it just, it just kind of ended up like sweet and sad and, but hopeful, you know, it's a, it's a different ending for a horror movie. And it's kind of like grief. It's kind of like coming out of grief or learning to deal with grief. You don't really ever come out of it. You just sort of like deal with it. Well, some people never learn to deal with it either. That's very true. I feel bad for those people, but it happens a lot. Vic, what was your favorite part? Um, my favorite part about this movie, um, was it's somber tone. It is a really, really sad, difficult movie to get through, but not because it's a bad movie, but because it is, it is a lot of very difficult emotions that are all wrapped up in one. And it it felt similar to, um, the Babadook for me, but (laughs) even more dreadful and sad, which is, I mean, it's, the Babadook's a pretty sad movie, but this was worse. It is a very similar Um, story to the Babadook. Um, it is. But I like the way this ended better than I like the way the Babadook ended. Yeah, I think. I think they're actually both kind of telling the same story, more or less, because I think both movies are about 
families dealing with grief and the, the loss of a loved one and what it does to you in, in the form of this physical manifestation of this evil. Um, but yeah, I really liked this a lot. I liked the, the somber tone. So that was my favorite part was just the sad kind of somber tone the whole way through. Kitty? My favorite part was where the bully got eaten. Because <laughs> uh-huh. fuck that kid. Oh, that is always nice. <laughs> Victor and I were talking about it before you came around. and It was like, I think they always put that. I think you said this once before, too. Yeah, like it's always nice when they set the bully up like that, because when they're viciously horrified, then you don't really care. Yep. Yep. If you think about um, it or scary stories to tell in the dark, like you have these overly asshole bullies. Ash, asshole? ash Asshole bullies that... <laughs> You know, you're like, oh, wow, what a jerk. I hope something bad happens to them. And then then something does, and you're like, hooray. Uh (laughs) But yes. um, But yes. So, uh, Max, least favorite part? Um, Probably, um, like, the stuff in the end where he was three, seeing his mother so sick. Um, It filled me with a lot of gross icky emotions like here's a three-year-old kid they don't understand any of what's going on um uh and then there's a mother who is knows that she's going to be leaving her three-year-old kid and like there's like she i'm assuming like no no parents no sisters or even friends that she can leave him to and how terrifying that would be like, it's different if you just walk out in the street and get hit by a car. You didn't see that coming. You didn't have time to contemplate it, and it's over. For you, anyway. But, like, knowing yeah. that you have a time limit and it's coming soon, I don't I, I don't think I'd like to die like that myself. Nobody would. Um. So, I have a quick correction, and actually, um, kind of even more of a punch in the gut. Um, (laughs) is the fact that, uh, six-year-old Rigby Flanagan Bell played young Cody, um, six-year-old Cody in, in those. And I believe, um, his biological mother actually plays his mom in those scenes where she's dying of cancer. And it seems a she little... just looks like that. Then that that's not actually happening to her, and that's not right. I mean, no, she doesn't actually have cancer. Okay. No, real Courtney Bell does not have actual. I was waiting cancer. for that to be Sorry. the punch in the gut. I mean, that's no, not... but I mean, like, can you imagine having to play out those scenes with your child? Uh, like, <laughs> yes, I, but I, I, I think if you're really committed to the story. Wait, I thought um, Michael Flanagan's wife was Kate Siegel. So it Oh my god. He, he has like seven wives now. No, 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 no. He only dated Courtney Bell um for a period of time um in like the twenty tens. And then he and Kate Siegel got together in like twenty 17 or something so shortly after before i wake was made um are you like a mike flanagan historian or something maybe 
<laughs> I also know a lot about the Wiggles. Do you want me to start on that? She no, like shuts the door on your bedroom and then like uncovers the mirror on the wall and is like, "What do you command <laughs> of me now, Mike Flanagan? What shall I say of you?" I, I have a bubble gum. Build me an army portrait of him of and. <laughs> I have a bubblegum portrait bust of him like Helga does in Hey Arnold. <laughs> uh, gross. Uh, so my least favorite part, and I went back and forth on this. Getting back to what we were here to do. I went back and forth on this for a while, and I think my least favorite part was actually the, the scene at the end where Cody's able to manifest uh, like a, a dull image of a, a butterfly because he thinks about it. Um, because come fucking on, Cody, could you not have just thought about that a little harder earlier? Like, could you not have avoided all of this? But also like, I just think that it's a little, (laughs) it's a little cheap to end on that note. Um, I think that it would have been kind of nice to maybe see Jesse dropping him off at, uh, Xavier's school for the gifted. Um, (laughs) how how it should have ended like that cartoon series where, (laughs) um, but like, I actually wanted to make a, a quick point about that. There, there, there is a really cool. Uh, it depends on how you look at it, but there's a comic book storyline um, with a a child, and it depends on the storyline that you're reading. But um, I think typically it's. I want to say I believe that he's Moira McTaggart's child. I think. Who's um, that? I might be getting my lines crossed. But there's um, there's a, a child. Is that the in... Scottish guy from The Symptoms? Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a, a child in the X Men universe who has this ridiculous ability to like channel energy, rewrite DNA, to create things at a molecular level. Like he can do all of these amazing things. But he, um, when he was a baby, his parents are murdered, and he. Uh, unknowingly because he's a baby and he just lashes out kills his murderers but he like fuses with their mind while it's happening so he can feel all of their like fear and pain and suffering as he's killing them um Mm -hmm. and then he spends the rest of his life with this ridiculous amount of power and also being like schizophrenic and manic depressive and bipolar and like this terrible mix of things from being like horribly scarred when he was a child so the way that they cope with this is that Xavier basically like wipes his mind and puts him in like a prison in his own head, um, which is just one of the many things that Xavier did that was actually terrible. Um, Professor X. But anyway, it just it felt really reminiscent to this because like there's this this character that is constantly told that like, you know, what he's seeing and what he's doing isn't reality and like he shouldn't trust it. And like he's constantly trying to have to battle and figure things out. But it's it's really sad um, because he doesn't understand what he's doing and how to control it. and Nobody will help him. Um, so anyway, um, Max, I mean, Kitty, what was your least favorite part? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know. I didn't really have anything that stood out, I guess. And I mean, it was meant to be horrible, but Jesse using Cody, Mm -hmm. like that just made me feel so icky inside. Yeah, it's hard because you empathize with both of them. Like, I get why she was doing it. And I honestly don't know that I would be able to do anything different in her shoes. But, like, it still felt really icky. (laughs) Yeah, it did. 
I would like to think that if I were in that situation and, like, it weren't the canker man, like, it were just, like, I, for some reason, were fostering a super powerful child who could manifest their dreams into reality. Um, just that. Just that. Um, and my child had died, that it would be a nice occasional thing that might happen. Like, a nice surprise every once in a while. Mm. But, like... At the same I, see, time, Victor and I were talking about this. Um, I don't think it would be. Yeah, there's, there's no just, way you could do it every night to like live with your child or loved one again, because then you spend the entire night with them. Like you can't live your life like that. Then you're not sleeping. Like you're not living your life at all. And yeah, even to just have it as like a, like once a month or, or once a week thing, like you could not function as a relatively normal human, even if that was the case. Like, yeah, there's no way you could include that in a life that included other loved ones. I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. Like I legitimately, I don't know, but um, yeah, that was my least favorite part. So Max, what was the scariest part for you? Well, true to um, Mike Flanagan, um, what do you call it? True to his wheelhouse, his bailiwick, his um, modus operandi. Like, there's a lot of parts in the beginning of the movie where, um, I, like, I, I I didn't see it the first time, and I had to like rewind. I'm like, wait, did I see that? But like, when they're looking at the butterflies the first time, mm. or I think when they go over to hug Sean the first time he's there. If you look in the kitchen doorway, you can see yep. very slight outline of the canker man. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, was that it? Oh, it was. And I'm like, ah, that's, that stuff scares me. I don't like passive evil. <laughs> yeah. Done. I think I happened to be looking down at that point and I had to make Vic rewind it so that I could see it. I rewound it to show you because <laughs> you love searching for ghosts in the haunting of Bly Manor and all those shows. So I was like, yeah. look, look, you can see them. Um, uh, scariest part for me was, um, the few seconds of sheer terror that is the canker man running across the floor to eat the little bully kid. Not that I don't mean, I don't care about the bully. He was, he was a bully. Um, and yeah, I mean, he was a turd really waffle. to say, because usually bullies are bullies for a reason. But anyway, um, like just the fact that like they portrayed this character, this creature is being like slow and shambling and like, like it, it kind of like was like, you know, a zombie in the sense that like it moves slowly and eventually it would grab you. But like the fact that it, that perception is shattered so violently and that it just runs across the floor and like grabs, like it's, it was so creepy. Like, cause I thought I was safe. Like, you know, I'll just run away from it. And then I realized I can't and it scared me. I didn't like it. Um, yes. all right. So the scariest part, for me, I think was the part where Mark, that was the husband's mm-hmm. name, right? Was getting sucked inside of the canker man. Mm. Like, oh yeah. Just the suffocating, like, of that. Like, it's kind of the same thing as, like, the, the girl in um, Scary Stories, uh, the Red Room story. Oh. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, like she kind of did, like, just sucked him right in there. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, 
so she good. almost disturbed me more because she was like smiling and just doing like little hum noises the whole time. Yeah. Like you can't can't do that when you're being evil at something. Like. <laughs> And I just want to point out that being the fucking true hero that he is, as Mark was being, like, dispatched in a terribly awful way, he yells at her, get out of here! Like, he tried to be a hero until the very end. Yeah, true that. All right, um, Max, uh, what was your overall rating? Overall, I will give it a 8 out of 10. Hmm. Because I thought it was a good okay. movie. And I... I actually liked this movie before, I think, like, before we really got into the podcast and I knew who Mike Flanagan was, I liked this movie before that. Hmm. And then when I brought it up the other day and you asked, is that Mike Flanagan? I was like, I don't, I don't know. I didn't think so, but um, that's all I was going to say. Oh, yeah. And then I found out it okay. was Mike Flanagan and I'm like, oh, well, I'll be, how about that? He made something <laughs> I really did like, among yeah. other things. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, um, my overall rating, I'm actually going to give this a 9 out of 10 because I really liked the somber tone. I, I like sad movies. I don't think that, and especially horror movies, it doesn't happen that often where we have a, a pretty somber ending. And this struck a really nice balance. And I appreciated that the tone stayed pretty consistent throughout. Uh, I'm going to split the difference and give it an 8.5 um, overall because it, it was a... The acting was good. It like even the kid acting was good, um, yeah. which is rare. And that's Mike Flanagan. Actually, I don't know if it's his directing abilities or if it's the casting directors that he works with are just really good at picking kid actors. But I've liked most of the kid actors and the things that that he directs, with very few exceptions. I just think that that overall everybody in this movie did a very good job i love annabeth gish the social worker Mm. um and um obviously thomas jane who didn't look like thomas jane in this movie no um when he had long hair hair, kind of threw me off (laughs) yeah when i said i said to Vic, i was like (laughs) he looks like willem defoe's more attractive younger brother (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Vic yeah, was like, Thomas I don't Jane know has a lot of lines on his face, but they're very char- very very charismatic, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, so that's that's my overall. Max, what was your horror rating? Max. Oh, um That's me. <laughs> uh <laughs> Horror rating, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Okay. Um, There were parts that were really scary, but it just didn't do a good job of maintaining the horror throughout the whole movie. But... Yeah. I mean, it was was a different movie, so, you know. Thick. And this is why we say that uh, these ratings are subjective. I'm actually going to give this movie a 10 out of 10 for horror. Hmm. Because the thought of losing... The thought of losing your child and having to relive it in this kind of way and be on the other side, no matter which side of the argument, I guess, you're on, whether you're with Mark or you're with Jesse, like, either way, you still have to try to convince your spouse that you're right about, you know, your side of this thing for this issue that no parents should have to talk about. And, you know, in this ridiculous situation, like, it's just the amount of 
fear and terror that I felt, you know, by association with things happening in this movie was pretty intense. So I think that, you know, your mileage will definitely vary depending on your experiences and your level of empathy. But yeah, it was a a pretty terrifying experience in general. And then there was the the moments of the canker man that were definitely pretty creepy too. I'm going to also give it a seven out of 10 for similar reasons to Max. It was, there were definitely some really good, really scary parts, but I spent the majority of the last half of the movie just crying. So I was too sad to be scared. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) too sad to be Um, scared. That's the title of your autobiography. (laughs) A lot of times I will complain that, like, I don't watch horror movies to be sad. I watch them to be scared. But this incorporated it in such a way that I didn't care. Mm. Like, it's like one of those things where, like, if I'm watching a horror movie and there's something that I'm like, oh, that's kind of sad. Like, I'm more annoyed about it because, like, I'm like, it was enough to make me think about it, but not enough to make me feel real emotions. But, like, (laughs) in this movie and in, like, The Babadook and other horror movies, I have, like, where I, like, actually cry. Like, it makes me feel real emotions and scares me at the same time. So, um, Mm. all right. Uh, so I guess that's everything for this movie. Sorry I was late, guys. Um, oh, that's okay. Killing vampires is important business. I was actually out battling off the Amish at Walmart. So. <laughs> <laughs> mm. There were like three van loads of them there tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Did the um, Amish come in van loads? Or, I think yes. buggy loads, mm-hmm. probably. No, no van loads. They hire drivers to drive them to sure do. major stores. Uh, that's true, like. Well, typically it's Mennonite, but still. These ones were, were Amish. Amish. Oh. Um, and you know, actually... I would like to call them out on that, but, you know, like using, like hiring someone who uses an electronic or like gas powered vehicle to take them somewhere, even though they can't use that themselves. But at the same time, anytime I've ever spoken to an Amish person, they've been so freaking nice to me. So I haven't yeah. played It's not my the business. The one anyway. had the cutest. <laughs> freaking baby with them and like this thing looked like an actual baby doll like it didn't look real it was so cute but anyway they Amish um, kids are so damn cute I was driving along a road once hang on and I was passing a buggy that had like a little like a like a flat bed on the back with groceries on it uh-huh. and as I was driving by a little head popped up out of the groceries and I was like <laughs> it was a cute little Cute little Amish girl. And I was like, hi. And she started waving to me. (laughs) The boys are cute cute until they start putting those bowl cuts on them. And I'm like, (laughs) ooh. But why, though? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyway. Max, pick a number one through three. Jeez. Oh, well. um... Wait. (laughs) Okay. Yes. No, sorry. Three. Uh, okay. So I couldn't decide what movie we were doing for next week. Um, we are going to do another Mike Flanagan movie. Oh, boy. Oh, um, boy. We are going to do Dr. Sleep because I haven't seen it yet. That was Mike Flanagan. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't that based off a Stephen King novel? 
It is. It was directed by Mike Flanagan, and it is actually a sequel to The Shining. I thought so. So, okay, I knew it was a sequel to The Shining, but I knew it was a Stephen King book. But now you're saying the movie of Doctor Sleep is directed by Michael Flanagan. Yes. I think if you look into it, you'll find that a lot of movies are directed by people other than the authors who produced them. Well, yes, but I mean... We have a Mike Flanagan thing going here. So, but it's not actually a Mike Flanagan movie. Uh, right or it's wrong. a Mike Flanagan experience brought to you by way of Mike Flanagan with the help of Stephen King. Mm, yes. <laughs> um, <Okay. laughs> and it has <clears throat> Ewan McGregor in it, which I didn't know. Mm. Ooh, Ewan um, McGregor. I haven't seen him for a while. And since I watched it, those horrible Star Wars movies. Also has uh, Alex Esso, who was um, Caroline in The Haunting of Bly Manor, the mother of Flora, and... She's in it for, like, two minutes. Uh, more than that, collectively, but... Um... <laughs> so... Well, you know what? We'll just keep this train going, and next pick is going to be mine, so I'll go through Mike Flanagan's catalog and see what we've, we haven't done yet and what's <laughs> worth doing, and we'll just we'll just keep this on rolling. Uh, one of his first ones was Absentia, which also had Courtney Bell in it, um, his ex-girlfriend. The name sounds familiar. You it, keep it was, saying that. Is that the person that was in this movie? Yeah, the, the uh, mother of Cody, the biological mother of Cody. But she wasn't the biological mother of the kid playing Cody. She was the biological mother of six-year-old Cody. So of of the so Mike Flanagan had kids with his girlfriend. Had one child with his girlfriend, and he's had two children with um, Kate Siegel. Okay, I think I'm caught up now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what are their names? What are their birthdays? Come on. Um. So I know. I know Rigby was born in 2010, and Theodora was born in 2020. Don't you fucking tell me they named her after Kate Siegel's character in The Haunting of Hill House. Don't you Uh, fucking tell me that. And her middle name is named after the, the character of Kate Siegel's character's daughter in Bly Manor, Isabel. Now, Did I know you I'm follow an angry that? person in general, <laughs> but um, yeah. I just can't decide how infuriated I am by it. Um, but I'm actually very excited. Uh, Jacob Tremblay, who was in this movie as Cody, is actually in Doctor Sleep as well. Hmm. Oh okay. boy! Where can we watch Dr. Sleep? Oh, um, so unfortunately, unless you have a premium sc- subscription to Hulu, um, you are going to have to rent or buy it from either Amazon or Google. Always so. go Google. I'm fine with that. I mean, it's from Amazon. Yes, that's fine. <laughs> we should get it from Google because it's always easier to find it, always easier to get it, and then watch um, it. But also, I have like 9 million digital credits for Amazon, so. Well. There you have it, folks. That was our review of Before I Wake with rugged and long-haired but somehow still sexy Thomas Jane Mm. and other people. And Kate Bosworth. Uh Uh-huh. And um, we are Hounds of Horror, and this has been our 
to you weekly podcast where we talk about horror movies. If you have comments to them either, <laughs> if you have comments or you know comments, then you can reach us at Hounds of Horror Pod. Complaints about us having irregular Hounds of Horror Pod at Gmail doing things that are. <laughs> Hounds of Horror Pod at gmail.com. <laughs> yep. And if you are listening to this on a platform that allows you to do so, please give us a rating of at least four stars. Because if you do four stars, Max will read it aloud on the podcast. If you do five stars, then me or Kitty will read it aloud on the podcast. So, I mean, That's there's really right. no that point in doing deal. anything less. Um, um, if you even give us a one star review and you meant it and it's funny, I'll read that too. Also, if you are... But don't do that on purpose. Like, if no, you don't. like us, then you shouldn't give us one star. But if you honestly disliked it, give it one star for that. Make your review interesting and I'll read it. <laughs> one out of five. I couldn't get them to play on my computer. Sir, that's a texter. <laughs> <laughs> There's, like, a hard drive, like, shoved into the bread slot. Like... <laughs> Some ram melted on the rungs. And <laughs> All right. Well, I need to go get sleep or something. So, mm-hmm. bye. I need to do something. Mm. Good night, everyone. Good night. Hopefully, they're listening to this at night. <laughs> <laughs>